Uh, So let me invite you, if you have a Bible, we're continuing this morning our study in the book of Ephesians, asking the question of what it means to be in Christ. And for the next three weeks, we're going to to ask the question, imagine uh, what God can do in and through Green Tree. And we're doing that in the context of talking about our giving and our financial support of Green Tree Community Church. So I'm going to be right up front and tell you that I'm excited about it for the next three weeks. Uh, We're going to talk about what it means to be in Christ and how that impacts how I support the kingdom of God. So if you're not a Christian this morning, you can listen uh, and you're going to hear some things about how Christians ought to approach the way in which we handle our finances and our, and, our, and our giving to our local congregation. If you are a Christian and you're part of Green Tree Community Church, this is for us. So I asked a few of my pastor buddies, and I've been around for a little while now. I've been in ministry for about uh, 36 and a half years. So, so I've asked some of my pastor buddies recently, what do you think? feel? How do you react emotionally when you know that time of year is coming up when you're going to, when you're going to preach about money for one or two or, or three Sundays? And they all kind of had the same reaction in a, in a little bit different, you know, different answers. One of my buddies said, what are my options? Could I, could I have a root canal over doing this? I'm like, no, you can't, can't pick that. Another one of my friends said, well, you know, I know it's kind of like my taxes. I know I have to do it. I know it's what I'm supposed to do. And so I just, you know, try to do it and get it out of the way. But quite frankly, I'd rather go live with my in-laws for a month. And by the way, I don't really like my in-laws. Another buddy of mine said, is this a trick question? (laughs) Of course, I don't like doing this. So I just want you all to know, because you you don't always necessarily know what people who stand on this side of the pulpit think about stuff. Uh, Apparently, we don't like to talk to those you that sit on that side of the pulpit very much about money. Uh, and, I, and I'm wondering why that is. I was at a, our, church, our national church planters retreat two weeks ago, and we had 80 people there. And I asked our church planters, what's the number one stressor in your life when it comes, not, not the family and, and stuff, but when it comes to your ministry, what's the number one stress? A hundred percent, no exception. Guess what they said? Fundraising asking for financial support for the kingdom of God from my fellow Christians, which I find intriguing. Why is that? Well, there may be a couple reasons for that. Uh, One may simply be that we're uncomfortable talking about money. And there's probably at times good reason to say, you know, the church is always asking for money. I get that. I understand that. And I think there, there's some truth that we can be overbearing when it comes to that. We can not be gospel-centered or Christ-centered when we talk about finances. And we can maybe think that our best effort is to make people feel guilty or feel like they have some obligation that they have to fulfill. And if they don't, then they're, they're not a very good Christian. And, and perhaps a lot of folks on my side of the pulpit, we've approached it in a, in a wrong manner because we know that perhaps it makes people uncomfortable. But it also might be for all of us that we're a little fearful that our hearts would be revealed for what they really are. And, uh, and it may be that we just get a little bit uncomfortable because maybe we know in our heart we should be paying a little bit more attention to this area of our lives. Maybe, I'm not sure. The good news is, is that the gospel is not here to make us comfortable. The gospel has been given to us to save us and to redeem us, and to draw us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so uh, hopefully it will be with some joy that we, that we understand that we're here in order to come to know Christ. I was actually walking, uh, standing out at the doorway this morning, gentleman from the eight o'clock service was coming out. He goes, you remember when you said that, that, that some people, you know, they come here and they find Jesus here? I said, yeah. I said, that was me. 
When I came to Green Tree, I, I didn't know Jesus. And the way he said it was, I was on the dark side. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. We don't think you're like uh, with Darth Vader. Please don't, please don't hear that. But what he was saying was that, that the light of the gospel had penetrated his heart. And that happened through the ministry of Green Tree Community Church. So, so we're here to come to know Christ, but we're also here to grow in him in every area of our lives, including our finances. And I look at my own life and I say, I, say, I want to be generous. I want to give to the kingdom of God. I, I, two weeks from now, we're going we're gonna to be bringing our pledge cards forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down what I'm going to give for the next year, and I'm going to bring that forward, and I'm going to do that with joy in my heart. But I have to admit to you that I'm not always as joyful as I ought to be. I'm not always as generous as I should be. This is an area in my life where I need to grow. And so I feel like I, I owe it to, to you as people that, that I love and people that uh, I engage with on a regular basis in my spiritual family that I'm very clear with you, that I'm very honest with you about what I believe Scripture says. What does Jesus have to say to us about our funding? And so for the next three weeks, as we look at what it means to be in Christ, we're going to do that in the context of giving. We're going to do that in the context, context of asking everyone who's part of the Green Tree family to invest in Green Tree Community Church. And we're going to ask everybody who's part of Green Tree to make a pledge for the next year of our giving. And I don't want that to be cloudy. I don't want that to be confusing. I want you to understand very clearly that that's something very important in the life and ministry of Green Tree. And I also want you to know I'm not coming because I feel like there's some kind of crisis and we need, you know, to take care of something. I think the generosity of Green Tree is pretty good. But I'm also not coming bowing and begging you to do something. I'm coming looking you in the eye and in all honesty, and with all the integrity I can muster in my heart by the grace and the mercy of God, I'm going to tell you what I believe Jesus has for us at Green Tree Community Church and why unapologetically we should challenge ourselves to give generally, generously and sacrificially to God's kingdom. In particular, God's kingdom work at Green Tree Community Church. I want to share with you a, a quote from Henry Now, and I've been reading a little bit of Now and recently, and he talks about this topic of, uh, of giving, and, and specifically talking to pastors about, you know, what it means to ask folks to contribute. And he says, asking people for money is giving them the opportunity to put their, uh, to put their resources at the disposal of the kingdom. To raise funds is to offer people the chance to invest what they have in the work of God. Whether they have much or little is not as important as the possibility of making their money available to God. When Jesus fed 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, he was showing us how God's love can multiply the effects of our generosity. God's kingdom is a place of abundance where every generous act overflows its original bounds. Think, think about a river. It's easy to think about this this morning, about a river overflowing. And it becomes part of the unbounded grace of God at work in the world. I would hope that, that one of the definitions of Green Tree would be that we would be involved in the sharing the unbounded grace of God in Kirkwood and St. Louis and our region and in our world. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21, hear the word of God. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, and some translations say more than we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we bow before you this morning as our Lord and as our Savior, the one who gave his life, the one who became poor in order that we might experience the riches of his grace. We come to you acknowledging that we need your spirit and your word to be present and alive in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we come acknowledging that this may be a difficult topic for us to consider, but it is nonetheless one of the most important things that we ask ourselves. How does the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if I am his disciple, really work out in my life? How does it work out in our lives? And what does that mean for supporting your kingdom financially at Green Tree Community Church? So, Father, we really don't need my words on this topic. We really don't need my thinking. What we absolutely uh, unequivocally need is your Holy Spirit and your word to help us to worship you with our intellect and our minds this morning. Help us to think and to reason under the authority and the glory and the power of your word. Lord Jesus, teach us, we pray. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your work today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a sermon in a sentence is a statement, and then it's a question. The statement is this. According to this passage of Scripture and other places in the Bible, God the Father shares with every disciple of Jesus some portion of his riches, power, love, and knowledge. That's a statement of fact. If you read this passage, you'll see that very clearly, and hopefully we're going to pick that out over the next few minutes. But then there's a question, why on earth would he do such a thing? Why would God treat us this way? What, what is his intention for your life and for my life that he would be so gracious and kind and compassionate to folks like us? Well, the way we're going to look at this is we're going to look at those four gifts, riches, power, love, and knowledge. And then when we look at them for a couple of minutes each, we're going to come back and ask the question, hopefully begin to answer the question, why would God do such a thing? Let's begin with riches. In verse 14 through the first part of verse 16, it says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's a, Paul's way of saying, this is why I pray. From whom I pray to the Father, from whom every, heaven, every family in heaven and on earth is named, according to the riches of his glory. Paul talks, us, talks about riches in order to remind us of the abundance of God's grace. That, that the power and the, and, and the wealth that God has at his disposal, he uses to be merciful to sinners like you and me that his grace abounds, that he, that he is wealthy beyond any descriptive words that I could give when it comes to the question of grace, when it comes to the question of the resources that need to be put against my problem with sin and your problem with sin. And we want to be filled according to the riches of his glory. 
I'm going to read for you just a handful of verses out of Psalm 50. I'm not going to put them on the screen because it, it, it's more than just one or two. It's a little too long. And you can close your eyes while you listen if that helps you a little bit. Uh, that's, it's okay at this point in the sermon to close your eyes. If it's 10 minutes, I might sneak up on you and scare you. Uh, but, but I want you to listen to the description of God his power, his glory, but then pay close attention at the very end where God then gives his people an invitation. Psalm chapter 50, the mighty one, God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness from God himself, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine, a cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the wor- uh, uh, Excuse me, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows before the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The psalmist is calling attention to the riches of God and to the power and the might of God in the context of the people of Israel needing God's salvation, needing God's mercy, and needing God's help. And the same is true for you and for me this morning. So when I think about about giving out of riches, I'm reminded of the abundance of of God's grace. I had four different chances this week. I was kind of retracing this in my mind early this morning. I had four different times where, where someone contacted me about an opportunity to be generous, about an opportunity and to support. And for a couple of them, it was an individual family that was struggling. And a couple of them were more kind of institutionally driven, kind of fundraising kind of things. And, and I gave three out of the, the four times. This morning, I was thinking more about the one that I didn't than the other three that I did. But what came to mind was the opportunity that I had when I gave to remember how much God has used his wealth for me. And how God has not been stingy, but has been abundant to share his riches. In fact, that's what what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He talks about how God uses his wealth. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He says as much in Ephesians chapter 2, a passage we looked at a few weeks ago. But God being rich in mercy, and that word rich there, we mentioned this when we preach on infinitely wealthy, beyond description, how rich God is in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Giving challenges me to share what God has given with me. And God gives out of the riches of his storehouse, and he does not give grudgingly, and he does not hold back. He gives me more than I could possibly ever need when it comes to the question of grace and mercy and forgiveness. 
But God not only shares his riches with us, but he also shares his power. In verse 14, says this, Paul says, this is the reason why I pray to the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul's talking about the power of God. And when he speaks about the power of God, he's talking about the, the power that saved us in the first place. So when you, you think about what we needed, Paul says you were dead in your trespasses. We need somebody to give us a life. When I say, you know, to somebody every once in a while, you need to get a life. You're, you're saying that kind of, you know, the, to say that maybe they don't get out much. That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is, is giving dead souls life. That takes an awful lot of power. And Paul says, that's the power that we want to rule and to reign in your house. That's the heart. That's the power that saved you in the first place. So Paul says in Romans chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes this. There's never a power outage with God. The lights of grace never flicker on and off because there's too much demand. God has grace and abundance and it's that power that saves us to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul reminds us that we would be nowhere without the power of God. We would be eternally lost. He also reminds us that it's the resource that drives our lives and our ministries. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul says he wants you to know what? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Why does he give us that great power? Look at Colossians where Paul says, this is the toil struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, I'm toiling and I'm struggling. I I want to share the gospel. I want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, but it's through his power that's at work within me. Your generosity, my generosity, our commitment to giving is fueled not by our own power, but by the power of God. Anybody in here in a, in a fantasy league of any kind, football or basketball or at the eight o'clock service, nobody wanted to raise their hand. And I, and I, and I stayed after them and a few people raised their hand. So anybody that's in a fantasy league uh, understands power rankings. It's, it's, it's a, it's a study of, you know, what's come before. So you can try to kind of predict what's going to happen, you know, this Saturday, if it's college football or this Sunday, if it's pro football. And so for those of you that don't know what a power ranking is, I'm going to give you a real quick official definition, a sports rating system is a system that analyzes the results of sports competitions to provide ratings for each team or player. Common systems include polls of experts and non-expert voters, betting markets, and computer systems. Power ratings are numerical representations of competitive strength, often directly comparable so that the game outcome between any two teams can be predicted. There you have it. So you find out how powerful your team is. And if you're an Alabama fan, you have the number one power ranking in the country and have had for about three or four years now. But we're not here to talk about Alabama football. How much does God's power ranking, where where does that land? Well, if God's number one, I don't even know how far down number two is. I, I, I can't even begin to offer that kind of information to you. God's power is unlimited. His resources know no end, and he uses his power on behalf of his people. God the Father shares with every disciple of Jesus some portion of his limitless riches and power, and thirdly, his love. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded 
in love. Paul could have said a lot of things that are rooted and grounded in the spirit, rooted and grounded in grace, rooted and grounded in, in a wide variety of things. But what he points us to is what ultimately was God's motivation to save us, which was his love. In Ephesians 2, because of the great love with which he loved us. Why did Jesus come to redeem people? Well, if you go to John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a man who came to him and asked him that very question. Who are you? And what are you doing here? That was really what Nicodemus was after. Jesus, you, you are befuddling all of us. And we've studied religion. And, and we thought we understood it. What, what's going on here? Who are you? What are you doing here? And Jesus responds, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When you see yourself in relationship to God, if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, what's the image in your mind? What's the picture that you have in your relationship with God? Is it, is it God kind of standing there, arms folded, disappointed because you haven't done everything you should do? Or is it a picture of love and relationship? We had a part of our family was in town for three weeks. Katie came and she brought uh, her two children with her. And we got to spend three weeks with Katie and her kids. And on one of the afternoons we were together, uh, Katie got a photographer, came out and took some pictures of us. Aw, this is the awe moment in the sermon. It's just, yeah, you were getting a little comfortable about money. I thought I'd throw a baby at you. <laughs> right? That's my buddy Landon. And Landon's about 10 months old. And he, he, he's smiling on the outside. On the inside, he might be going, I'm still not sure who this guy is and why he's got a hold of me and, and mama help. But when I think of my relationship with God, I ought to think of a picture like that. As God is the one who's got me. And he's, he's clearly the one in control of the situation. He's, and what's he doing with his power? He's showing his affection. That's what God has in his heart towards you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're like, Tom, I mess up. I get it wrong. I, I, you know, let's talk about what we're talking about today. Maybe I don't give as much as I should. That's not why God loves you. God doesn't love you because you give more or less to the church. God doesn't love you because you teach Sunday school or don't teach Sunday school. God doesn't love you less if, if you didn't bring a you know, bag of Snickers to the harvest party. Big deal. God loves you because his son gave his life for you. And the primary motivation of God's saving power is his love. And if you don't see yourself like that, you'll never give what you ought to give. You'll never give out of a thankful heart because you, you haven't yet experienced or, you're, or, or, or in some way you're allowing your understanding of God's love for you to be stunted by the circumstances and the choices of your life instead of by the grace and the mercy that is in Jesus Christ and in those who are with him, who belong to him. God's motivation to save is love, and that should be what motivates us too. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians. Um, that you, you know, all the verses of the Bible are great, but this, but this, is, this is really one of them. You probably shouldn't say, this is one of the best verses in the Bible. But I love this because it's succinct and it's to the point. Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about some really difficult stuff. And, and, and he's, he's kind of getting after him. He's kind of doing a little bit of you should know better uh, with them. And, they, and quite frankly, when you read 1st, 2nd Corinthians, maybe they should have. So Paul's kind of, he, and he's kind of the dad of the church. He has the right to kind of say this. But he, as he's going through this argument, he says, him, I want you to understand our motivation. I want you to know why I'm fussing at you. The love of Christ controls us. It doesn't inform us. It doesn't advise us. 
It isn't, it isn't something to which we consult occasionally when it's convenient. The love of Christ controls us. Does the love of Christ control you and me? Does it control our giving? Does it control our compassion? Does it control our serving? Does it control our marriages? Does it control how, we, how we're a mom or a dad or how we're a son or a daughter? It applies to every area of our life. We just happen to be in three weeks where we're talking about giving. But this is a wonderful verse because it speaks directly to the heart of the matter. If the love of Christ controls me, a lot of other things fall into place in my life. When I reject the love of Christ and I, and I start to go with my own judgment, I become an orphan. And I become one who has no root and no found foundation. And I drift aimlessly. And I can put a lot of nice words into it, but that's ultimately what happens in my life is I'm spiritually adrift because I've forgotten or I've lost the grip on the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. God the Father shares with every disciple of Jesus some portion of his limitless riches, power, love, and knowledge. Look at verse 17, the end of verse 17 and 18 and 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, strength to think through and understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul is speaking about here is a thoughtfulness. It's wisdom built on the love of Christ. It means that my intellect begins with the love of Christ, and it moves out from there. I would not for one second recommend that any person at Green Tree Community Church blindly fill out a pledge card and bring it up for any, any reason, whether it's guilt or, or otherwise. It needs to be thoughtful. It needs to be prayerful, just like every area of my life needs to be thoughtful and prayerful under the wisdom that God gives in Christ. We should pray for the strength to comprehend what God's love for us, his care for us. Henry Nouwen says it this way. I love this, this quote by Nouwen. Uh, and that's a picture of the prodigal son who's, who's come to the bottom of, the, of his experience. He's, the pigs have food and he doesn't have any. To be converted means to experience a deep shift in how we see and think and act. To be converted is to be clothed in our right mind, to come to ourselves the way the younger son did when he was starving, far from his true home. It is a shift of attention in which we set our minds on divine things. What Paul is praying for the church is that they will have a thoughtfulness that is built on the knowledge of God and that is always led by the Spirit. If we could go back to that screen, thank you, it's already up there. That surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is speaking of, of a life that's always led by the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God means that we more and more and more think and speak and act and live like Christ. And so when we, we look at this list, hopefully what we're, what we're thinking to ourselves at this point is, this is quite a list. If this is what God has truly done for me in Christ, I'm blessed beyond belief that God has shared his riches and his power and his love and his knowledge with me is remarkable. I, you know, I just want to stand up and, and shout and sing, and that's a great response. But there's got to be more of a response than that. Why on earth would God give people at Green Tree Community Church these gifts what was he thinking? Have you ever said that to one of your children? Do you ever have a parent when you're a little child? They, they, they said to you, what were you thinking? I heard that a lot in my life. Tom, what on earth were you thinking? This passage of scripture makes me want to say to God, have you lost your noggin? Why would you entrust this to us? 
Why would you give us such a glorious, majestic gift that is so full and so complete to people like us? And I think the answer comes, God has not lost his mind. God actually has a, a better answer than Tom Rex could ever hope for in verses 20 and 21 of this passage. And it comes in the form of what we call a benediction, although I think this is even more than a benediction. Now to him, the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than any that we ask or think or ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There are a handful of things underlined there. First is that we need to understand that God is intentional, that he hasn't made a mistake by bringing you and me to faith, that he hasn't redeemed us, and he hasn't put us together as a spiritual family that we call Green Tree Community Church by happenstance or by error. It is his intention. He is going to do things, and he's going to do things abundantly. He's going to do amazing things, and he's going to do them in us and he's going to do them through us if we will trust him by faith. I'm so excited next Sunday, we're gonna, you're going to actually see a video story, and I'm not going to ruin the, the surprise, but next Sunday, we're going we're gonna to hear from four people uh, about their experience in the past growing up at, at Green Tree. And, and we were talking when we were filming this, and we were saying, you know, what, what did our founders imagine when, when Green Tree first began? And I can't speak for the Pences or for the Hollies, but I know some of the things that I imagined. I imagined just hoping that it didn't all blow up and go away. I remember when there were 40 or 50 of us going, I, I really hope this is going to last. Is that, does that, uh, we had some of those, you know, I'm thinking, boy, that's not much of an imagination to hope that your family's not on the street starving after a couple of years. Uh, maybe God could do even more than that. And what I'm excited about, and you'll see next week, is, is God has done infinitely more than that. What did you write down? What do you imagine for Green Tree? Because this says that this is going to be given for all generations, which includes our generation. It includes the generation that came before us, and it includes the people that invested in us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody told me about Jesus. Somebody told you about Jesus. Someone invested their time. If you heard a sermon and, and you were converted through that sermon, someone paid that pastor's salary so they could preach that sermon. If you heard the message of the gospel in a Bible study inside the, the context of the local church, somebody invested in order to buy that property and build that building so there'd be a place to come where the name of Jesus could be lifted up. And now it's our turn. Now it's our opportunity. Just as someone invested in us, now we have the opportunity to invest in our community and in our world to the people around us who, who need to grow in Christ and who need to come to him for salvation. The God of the universe has given us everything we need from his riches and his power and his love and his, and his, and his knowledge. Excuse me. It's good to imagine perhaps what God will do. Once we imagine that, will we prayerfully and honestly, ask God to use our giving to the end that the next generation will know Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we bless your name this morning. Thank you for Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. We thank you that he went to the right source when he thought about what they needed. He didn't tell them to work hard and to, to buck up and to do everything they could, he reminded them that they were recipients of some amazing gifts. 
And he challenged them to believe that that was true. And Lord, you're challenging us this morning to believe that is true. Lord, we don't all come from, you know, wonderful as the world describes uh, financial situations. There are a wide variety of, of financial circumstances represented in this room. But every one of us is called upon to trust you in that. Every one of us is called to give in the context of our relationship with you. So Lord, teach us your gifts this morning. Remind us of your love for us. And Lord, as we, over these next couple of weeks, prepare our hearts, we pray that your will would be done. We pray that, that, that what we could imagine wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface of what you're going to do. And the Father, give us the faith to follow you and to trust you in our giving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.